Okay, so we're continuing working through the letter of James. And a couple of weeks ago we heard how faith without deeds is dead. Okay, faith is actually completed by our deeds. There's something important. So we can't, as I was saying, speaking words is valuable and really important. But actually there also needs to be a practical outworking of our faith. Our faith is to touch every part of us and all that we do. But words are equally important. If you're looking for a title for this morning, I would suggest the fire of the tongue. The fire of the tongue. So hopefully that will come to make sense. But let's let's read James 3, verse 1 to 12 together. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's very sobering. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we're talking about perfect man there. Remember a few weeks ago we were in James 1, verse 4, and it was talking about how in trials... It produces steadfastness in us and steadfastness. Let it have its full work that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's the same word there in terms of the Greek, perfect, complete. It's talking about maturity, okay? It's talking about maturity in our faith. It's not talking about maturity in years. It's talking about actually a maturity in our faith. So for, for, so for verse 2 again, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, he's a mature man, or man and woman, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It's pretty pretty strong stuff, isn't it? For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. It's an interesting point there. So we bless... God of our tongue. But actually when we curse others, we're cursing people made in the image of God. So actually, we're speaking negatively about God. It's reflecting upon who he is. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same o- from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond your fresh water. In many ways, it's, it's quite a challenging passage. Um, 
It's probably why I've still not quite finished writing my sermon. <laughs> um, there's so much we could delve into here. There's so much, so many rich pictures that James picks up on here. And I think we have to remember as well that James, being the half-brother of Jesus, he would have grown up with Jesus. So more than most of, other, most of the rest of Jesus' followers, he, we can presume he saw what Jesus was like. So even be, almost behind closed doors, not in public ministry. And so there was just something in what he's bringing here that is capturing the heart and ministry of Jesus that he wants us to grow in and to mature in. James wants us to know the power of the tongue. God is a speaking God. He's always speaking. The world was created by words, by creative words of God. The enemy, the devil, is a speaking devil. He's the father of all lies. There is the power of life and death in the tongue. That's Proverbs 18.21. The words we speak can bring life. They can encourage, strengthen, comfort, honour, fortify, unify. But they can also tear down, squash, humiliate, destroy, causing deep wounds that last. You might have heard the old dip, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's just not true, is it? I think all of us can probably think about things from the past. Words that have been said to us. And actually, sometimes it's been a throwaway comment. Sometimes someone's not said something to be mean, to be harsh, to be hurtful, but it's stuck with us. And it starts to shape us. It starts to affect how we think and therefore how we interact with others. Words are powerful. And from what James is saying here, it would seem that from, there's this, this natural sense this, uh, that it, it's, it's actually hard to speak life. It, it's not the most natural thing that our tongue does. In fact, as human beings, or literally translated, our human nature we can't control the tongue, is what he says. I think we need to be aware that our words have great power. And it's helpful as well as we look in verse 2. It says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So there's something... Something about maturity. So a perfect man, come back to that. So actually maturity. There's something about maturity in our faith that not only helps us provide our tongue, but also provide our whole body. And there's, there's something coming through in this, I think, in this, these, um, these scriptures that actually the tongue is the hardest bit for all of us to control. If that makes sense. We, we so often speak without thinking. And the reality is, we actually, that's not fully true because we're always 
really speaks rethink. If that makes sense. There's there's a mindset. Lewis was talking about mindsets earlier on and freedom in that. There's actually there is something going on there. And oh, this passage has been so challenging to me. It's made me stop to think and actually really pay attention to what am I saying to people? What am I saying in everyday life? And so often it's almost brought me to tears. And it's not like what I'm going and saying purposefully harmful things. But actually, I can be short with my children so often, so easily. I can say things as a throwaway comment and not really think about it. And even um, yesterday, someone shared something with me and they, at, at a conference, a, a friend of mine, and they were saying, oh, I was tempted to go and, go and leave early and go and see the football. Um, and from the stage, there's been a comment about, if you don't do anything from faith, it's a sin. And he's like, I, I, felt, I felt like I should stay because I didn't know what other people might think of me. And I just said the phrase, oh, that's a sin then, isn't it? Because you're not doing it in faith. That's it. I said it in a funny way. And he laughed and the people with me laughed. But just instantly, in my spirit, I was like, oh, I could have done without saying that. And I think I've caused more damage than goods. And I think we need to be aware of our tongues. Okay? We need to be aware of what we say and what we do. Because they can cause disunity. And it can be a hidden thing. And actually, I think maybe even as I'm speaking, there might be things which the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts where, where we know there's something we need to go and say sorry to someone to for something we've said. Maybe we need to apologise to someone. Or maybe even someone says something to you at some point and they don't even know what, know, aware, know about it, if that makes sense. But it's stuck with you and... And there might just be a process you need to work out in your heart before God in forgiving them. Because we're told that we to throw off the sin and the weight that so easily entangles us. And actually part of the fruit of the tongue, the weight of that, those things in our heart, slow us down, they weigh us down, they entangle us. So it all says we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he's a perfect man. So James himself is humbly saying we all. He's been speaking to, to all these believers as brothers, as sisters. He's pouring out his heart. He genuinely loves them. He says we're not perfect yet. We all stumble in many ways. Okay, It's sobering to recognise that. It's helpful to recognise that. Don't be weighed down. The issue is, is when we're stuck in a cycle of sin, in a specific area, then that needs addressing. Then that needs addressing. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that when we sin, we just get on to go roll with it. That's, that's not the case. But what I'm saying is, we can easily, when we recognise we sin and sometimes how much we sin, we can end up bogging ourselves down, feeling stuck in the mud, as Lou was saying, and not being able to move. Where it says in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in our mindset, it's not just that he forgives us, because we know the deep, 
negative things, the deep, the pain, the anguish, the things we've done to cause. But actually, the gospel is good news. Jesus is good news. What he has done for us is good news. And as we'll come to see in a minute, the fact that Jesus has ascended to be with the Father is to our advantage because he has sent another to help us, another to point us to Jesus, another to lead us into that hope, to guide us into that hope, and that his life may flow in us and through us. You see, Jesus was someone who, he said, the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus was someone who knew how to control the tongue. Jesus was someone. And we saw him angry at times. We saw him exasperated at times. But yet he never sinned. And, and at times it's fine for us to be angry in the right thing about the right way. What was Jesus? What did he get angry about? He got angry about injustice. He got angry about the Father not being glorified how he should. So it's important. You know, you're not stuck in the mud. You might feel you're stuck in the mud. You might feel you're stuck in the mud. But what we're to do is when we recognize sin in our lives, we're to run to Jesus. We run straight to him who is seated on the throne of all rule and all authority, whose blood has cleansed us. And we run to him and we ask for forgiveness. We repent, which means we turn around, but also we change the way we think. We set our mind on different things. And he cleanses our consciences and our minds and our lives. Imagine a great forest fire. Picture it in your mind now. We've all, we've all seen them on the news numerous times in recent years. It sweeps uncontrollably, doesn't it? It just sweeps uncontrollably. It feels like sometimes anything we do can't stop it. It just causes destruction wherever it goes. Yet it can be started by the smallest of sparks, can't it? Just from the smallest of sparks. <coughs> this is what the tongue is like. It can cause unfathomable damage. James says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. It sounds hopeless, doesn't it? But we have a hope. Because of Jesus. It took me a while to get my head around this. But this is my current understanding. So the tongue represents the sinful, rebellious world. John Calvin remarked, A slender portion of flesh contains within it the whole world of iniquity. It's a bit like if you gather around a campfire. Everything you wear gets covered in smoke. Once you put the fire out, and you, go, you might go home, and people notice. They can sense the stain. Okay, the other day we had a fire at Growth Group in a chimney. It's a wonderful time. I won't go into detail now, for lack of time. But, as soon as I got home, Alex was like, oh, he smelled of smoke. It's just obvious, it's so plain. 
And actually, our tongue stains the most of our members. So not only does it cause this fire that can spread and cause damage, it, it stains us, it, it, affects, it affects us. And it, this, this, this language about the tongue being like a rudder, it, it, can, it can steer a ship, it affects the whole course of life. It, I, I don't fully understand it, but there is something about our tongue that is a rudder for our body and can affect our whole body. And I think part of it is about holiness. I think actually part of it is as we use our tongue in a holy, righteous way that brings life, it affects our whole body in that way. But actually, if we don't use our tongue in that way, and the default from living in a fallen world, and for many of us having many years where we weren't following Jesus and having his spirit at work in us, our default is actually negative things that we speak, if that makes sense. Which I think is why the Bible so often is like, come on, encourage one another, encourage one another, rejoice, rejoice, thanksgiving. Wait, what are we doing with all those things? We're setting our minds on something different, aren't we? We're not setting our mind on earthly things when we're encouraging one another in God. When we're thanking God, when we're rejoicing in Him, we're shifting our mindset to something else. Thank you, Luke, for what you shared. Very helpful. So it not only affects individuals, but it affects communities too. And the source of the tongue's fire is the fire of hell. Okay? The natural place we, 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 we speak from. So what does that mean? I think it's challenging, isn't it? What, what does that mean? Well, I think it's saying that the tongue itself becomes an instrument for Satan. The tongue itself becomes an instrument for him to use. There's a really interesting example here. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 16. I say sorry, no slide this week. But it's not a bad thing for us to get used to turning places. So Matthew 16, from uh, verse 21, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned aside to Peter, that's Jesus. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me, to me. Wow. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It blows my mind the fact that that Jesus even commences that there's a hindrance going on there. Jesus was like, what you're saying to me is a hindrance to me. It's trying to stop my kingdom coming, my kingdom flowing. And I can only imagine that Peter said, 
what he says with good intentions. I can only imagine he said what he said, probably from a place of love as well. A real heart for Jesus, a real heart for, actually, a real heart for seeing God's kingdom come as well. But Jesus gets to the root of the matter. Satya's Satan's the one behind what you're saying. And it's a hindrance. But how has Satan got this access? How has Satan managed to do that? Because you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's a real challenge, I think, to us. I think we have to stop and think. Are we setting our mind on the things of God? Or are we setting our our thinking, our mind, on the things of man? And Satan is really sly. He's a schemer. He's the father of all lies. It's not very often that he's going to suddenly come with this big luring picture of the world all at once just to be like, no, think on on these things, this is good. No, no, he comes slyly very often. He's subtle. The Bible says we're to be aware of the schemes. And it might be... I heard a a testimony recently uh, about a lady called Jen Wilkin. And so she's a fairly famous uh, Bible teacher. Uh, And she gives the example that her family have always had old cars. They don't need new cars. Why do you have a new car? Like, my car's covered in dents, so I don't care if it gets another dent. She's never cared about cars. And she goes on holiday with her brother. And when she's there, the family are like, oh, there's this car convention going on that your brother really wants to go to. Can you go with him? Because we don't want to go. <laughs> Can you go with him? And she comes out, and she's like, never really wiped before Mustang before. But actually, I quite well have a fancy one. And this, there was this, everything about the car show was geared towards making this be something that you want, that you need, that pulls you in. There are people there that after every single person touched a car, to quickly wipe off the fingerprints. Just to, to make it all clear and shiny and new and, and draw you in. Uh, and actually her car broke down and they ended up being blessed in some way with a new car and in the past she'd be like in a car park parking and in fact, (laughs) funny story one of her children's teachers parked next to them opened the door, knocked it into their car didn't even say anything shut the door and walked off and they all just laughed about it so like, well we don't care about the car anyway but it's just like, why, why don't people why don't people care? but then she got a new car and now she's like, oh, no, just really careful. Like, like, almost wanting the first thing so she could relax about it. But it was a process of her going to this thing. Okay, it was all at once in one thing. But, but there was just these lots of different things designed to lure her into thinking, changing her way she thinks about cars, making she needs something, making she, she needs something different. And with us, so often, the enemy will start just with small things, feeding us on things to do with the world. Things that we, we need, or he says we need. 
things to just draw us in and entice us. And things that aren't bad for us necessarily. Do you know actually there are some Christians that God has grace gift with the ability to steward millions of pounds for his kingdom. Okay, it's not bad to have lots of money. It's not bad necessarily to have lots of things. But the issue can be what's going on in our heart. Okay, and where's our mindset? Do these things have a hold on us? Or do we recognise they are God's? All things have been made for God, through God, for his glory. So Peter was walking with Jesus daily. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And yet his mind was set upon it. It was focused on the wrong things. I think this is a question we need to come, come back to often and just think. And actually pray and ask the Holy Spirit, look, God, help me to see what, where my focus right now. Is there anything drawing me away? Is there anything causing my mind to be focused on the wrong things? I mean, there's a passage that we've, we've spoken about not that long ago. And we don't need to worry about anything. We don't need to be anxious about anything because God will provide. But what we are to do is to seek first the kingdom of God. And then we will see his provision in all these areas in our life. And to seek first the kingdom of God, you've got a mindset on God and things. You've got a mindset on him and his kingdom. So how do we go about setting our mind on godly things? How do we learn to control our tongues? One way could be to examine your heart. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, actually, what's, what's going on in my heart in this time? And I've mentioned it a few times recently. Psalm 139, just the end of it, it says, Search my heart and know my ways. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, actually, that's, that's really, really good and really helpful, I think. Let's realise that there. Ah, oh, that's why. I was just like, the clock is wrong, the clock is wrong. Of course it's wrong, it's an hour out, isn't it? So I haven't been speaking for that long, have I? Um, so that is an important thing to do. But I feel like I've put something specific on my heart. And this is kind of like the starting place. Coming back to that passage from John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So all of a sudden it's fine that by our own human nature we can't control the tongue. Because we're not meant to do it on our own anyway. We do it for the power of God. Ephesians 5 verses 18 to 20 says this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, what, what flows from being continually filled with the Spirit? What's the fruit of that? It's declaring the wonders of God. It's speaking in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thanksgiving, 
to each other and to God for his glory. Suddenly, the tongue isn't destructive. Suddenly, it's life-giving. See, when you live a life that's continually spirit-filled, your tongue is no longer speaking from the fire of hell. But it's speaking with a new kind of fire. A heavenly fire. Jesus said, I send to be the Father, that I might send you a helper. It is to your advantage that I go. Okay, that helper was the promised Holy Spirit. Our tongue is the hardest thing to bridle. It's the most destructive thing. Think about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes. Okay, just picture that room for the moment. The disciples sitting around... What happens when the Holy Spirit comes? What rests upon the people? Tongues of fire. Tongues of fire. The very thing that is the most destructive thing, the very thing that we would speak from, where it was ignited by the fire of hell, now it's the fire of heaven falling. And what happens when that fire of heaven falls as tongues? The disciples speak in new languages. Everyone hears them declaring the wonders of God. There is something significant in living Holy Spirit-filled lives that enables us to speak and to bring life. When we live Holy Spirit-filled lives, our minds cannot help but shift onto the things of God. Our heartbeat cannot help but be in line with the things of God. If we try and follow Jesus in our own strength, we can't do it. We'll blunder, we'll fail. We won't be able to bring kingdom's life, kingdom life. And even when we think we're trying to do it, we'll be a hindrance. Peter thought he, was, he had his mind in the right place. He thought, no, Jesus, you got this wrong. Your kingdom needs to come, and it needs to come in a different way to what you're saying. But the things of God, in many ways, are upside down to the things of our world. We seek to continually be filled with the Spirit and speak how the Spirit leads us. Speak words of encouragement, of exhortation, even rebuking one another. That can sound negative, but actually sometimes we need it. And when we do it through God's leading, it brings life. Thanksgiving, spiritual songs. When we do this, a fire will spread. But not a destructive fire of hell. But the fire of the kingdom of God. Which is wonderful, beautiful. And actually is a kingdom that is ever increasing. And it will bring life. And it will bring a unity. 
that when other people see the unity and the love within the church, it will make them stop and wonder and themselves see the very wonder and mystery of God outworked, the gospel displayed in our lives. So I'd just like to to stop. We're just going back to Ephesians 5 for a second. It, it contrasts being drunk with wine with being filled with the Spirit. Now this can be a little bit of a funny thing to talk about at the front of church. But how do you get drunk on wine? You drink a lot of it, yeah. And particularly back in the day when this letter was being written, it was watered down, wasn't it? So actually you would have had to drink quite a lot of it to get drunk. If we work with that analogy, how much in contrast of the Holy Spirit are we drinking? Do we spend a few minutes a day saying God fill with your spirit and then we get off and go in that, in that vein? Or actually, or actually are we continually being filled with the spirit? Do we make it a priority in our life just to continually commune with God, to stop with him? To pray with him? We need to continually keep drinking. We need to continually keep drinking of the spirit of life. Something Steph Liston said at the conference really challenged me. He was talking about prayer and actually our minds. Do we have a mind prayer war? Do we have a mindset of warfare? Okay, because the reality is, as Christians, we're living in war. It is there, there is war going on. Do we have that? Because actually, if we have that mindset, it makes us live very differently. And he was talking about the importance of prayer and doing battle in prayer. And he said, quite often, people will walk and say to him. Oh, yeah, I, I, when I'm doing this, I'll make sure I'm praying. Or if I'm going here, I'll make sure I'm praying on the way. I'll do that. That's how I pray. And he's like, yes, that's good. And I celebrate that. And that's really good. But it's not the primary thing you're doing. The primary thing you're doing is going from A to B. And you're praying along the way. And it's amazing and great to make use of those opportunities. But we also need times in our lives where the primary thing is actually praying. Where... And that doesn't mean you can't be walking as you're doing it. I actually find it a lot easier to walk whilst praying. But, but we need, and I'll just draw that analogy to here of being filled with the Spirit. Are we finding time to be purposely drinking? Purposely drinking of Him. And as we do, life will flow. So I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us and if you agree amen it at the end but I just want to pray that actually we um, our minds are set on God on his things and that we grow in being continually filled with the spirit it sounds easy and simple it is simple it's not easy okay it's not easy. It's not easy. It's simple though. We don't have to conjure up anything. We've got a loving Father who loves to pour out His Spirit upon us. 
and to fill us afresh daily. His mercies are new every day. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you. I thank you for what you have done. Lord God, we reading this passage in James just shows the dire place we were in. Lord, the dire place that we were in from the, the way we speak can cause so much damage and cause so much harm. But I thank you, God, that you have made a way that now we may speak words of life. That now we may bring life wherever we go. That now we may speak your spirit and your kingdom into situations. That we may now encourage and bring unity and put out negative fires and destruction and build up and encourage. And God, so I just pray right now, fill us afresh with your spirit. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Lead us as a community in what it means more and more to drink lots of you. To drink lots of you. To continually drink of you. To be a people that live from your presence. That have our minds fixed on you. And I just pray even now, if there are areas in our hearts and our minds where we've set our minds on things that are not of you, and we're not even aware of it, Lord. I just pray even now by your Spirit, come and highlight that. Lord, and we, we repent of those things. And we turn to you, the way of life. We trust you. Thank you, you are with us, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. There's a there's a lot in that passage we just shared. Like a heck of a lot. I barely have to scratch the surface. So, do you talk about it with each other? Think on it. Ponder it. If you have any questions, ask me. I might be able to answer them. <laughs> but let's enjoy a time of fellowship together. Let's enjoy a time where we can speak life to one another over coffee, tea and cake. And if your children are in stepping stones, please go and find them. Thank you very much, everyone.